This is episode 243 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Control and Compound Financial. They teach real estate investors how to multiply their wealth using infinite banking strategies. For a complimentary wealth coaching session or to learn more, visit www.controlandcompound.com forward slash Andrew Hines. Welcome back to the show. Today, I have Manny Schifferaw on the show, and he is an Eastern Canada investor who took his skills south of the border, and I know this is a common theme lately, and that's because there are certain markets, of course, in the U.S. that seem to work really well. And one of the ones that's been brought up on this show before, specifically by Thomas Larini, is Cleveland, Ohio. And I actually invested in Ohio many, many years back. Back in 2012, I started investing there, and I didn't have the greatest experience. But full disclosure, I didn't really know what I was doing that well back then, and I had to learn. Uh, well, Manny is buying multifamily buildings and getting some pretty insane returns. So uh, he talked about a plan that between three buildings that he's acquiring or already acquired, so he's in the process of acquiring the last one, I believe, he's looking at somewhere around thirty dollars or $40,000 in cash flow per month. Now, it's not all his. There are other partners in on these deals. They're using a general partner structure where they have uh, a general partner and limited partners uh, who invest in these deals. And this is a strategy that uh, serious investors use. And this was a serious investor type conversation. Somebody investing at a distance uh, in a market that cash flows and makes sense. Uh, I'm always up for a discussion about that. So I enjoyed this conversation and I think you will too. As always, I just want to ask you that if you're enjoying the show, please make sure you rate and review it. Uh, it will help it get out there to more people. And then the best thing you can do is share this show with somebody you think it could help. I'm really looking to continue to grow it and your help is needed in that process. So thank you very much in advance for doing that. And uh, I want to remind you about the GTA West REI meetup. We're doing that monthly. Uh, it's a fantastic opportunity to meet fellow investors, share ideas, talk shop, and grow together. So I highly encourage you to come on out to that. It's completely free. Now, without further ado, let's jump into the episode with Manny Schifferat. Welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I've got Manny Schifferat. Did I say that right? Yep, that's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah, he's on the uh, podcast here remotely, which we don't do much of this, but uh, Manny's got a cool setup. Uh, nice mic over there. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to dig into this. So Manny, you're coming to us from the East Coast. So it was inevitable. We're going to get some distance uh, distance investors on here. Um, tell me a little bit about you and and what got us to this point, uh, having you on my show here. Yeah, sure, Andrew. So this is a it's an honor to be here, honestly. So I started investing in my investment journey back in 2019. You know, I was I'm a registered nurse by trade. That's my day job, and I worked as a nurse. You know, maybe for a month or two, and then I'm like, this this is tough. Like I don't know how I can do this for the next 40 years. So I started looking into investments. And I, I tried day trading stocks, went terribly, lost a lot of money pretty quickly. So then I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then I kind of fell in love with real estate. I'm not totally, I mean, my mom, she owns one rental property. So she, we've owned that for, you know, since I was a kid. So I didn't know a whole lot about real estate, but like the concept wasn't foreign to me. So that's when I first started my education. And that's when I came across your podcast, you know, the Rise podcast, Bigger Pockets. And I just consume so much content and learned as much as I could. And then I started, you know, I went out and I bought my first duplex, house hacked it 5% down. And then after that, I ran out of money. Like what, the, how do people buy more properties after this? So that's when I kind of did some more research, did some more learning. And I, uh, I learned about the burn model and, you know, raising capital. And I was able to raise some money from my parents for the first deal. Um, I went and I burned my tri uh, triplex. It went perfectly. I gave my dad the cash back. And then I said, you know, plus the interest on top of that. And then I explained to him, you guys can, you know, sit on this money or else you can give it back to me and I can go rinse and repeat, do the exact same thing. And that's what I did. I was able to just kind of take that initial capital and buy a triplex after that, and then a fourplex and then a sixplex, you know, given my, my parents the returns after every single deal. And then I was kind of stuck because I wanted to do some cooler stuff, some bigger stuff, but I live in Halifax, Nova Scotia. For your listeners in the market here, just like pretty much anywhere across Canada, it went crazy over COVID. And especially the larger multifamily stuff, you know, 20 to 100 units or whatever, the prices are just absurd. So it's really, it was really hard to make the numbers work. And that's when I kind of started diving down and learning about the United States. And 
um, my mentor and now business partner was on your show a couple months back, Thomas Larini. So I joined an investment pro uh, investment education um, group called Wealth Genius. So that's where Thomas was my mentor. And then I finished that. And now we're just buying all kinds of properties in the United States. And that's what brought me here to you. Um, I have my own podcast and I was sharing my journey along the way. And then I'm like, I should get on other people's podcasts. So you were one of the people. Yeah, very cool, man. Thanks for the context. Yeah, no problem at all. And uh, you mind giving me like the year range, like where when did you start investing using your parents' money and then when you went into the US? So 2019 would be when I started investing here in Canada. And honestly, the US stuff started last year. 2022 is when I first started yeah. learning, but I didn't actually buy anything until this spring. So May 2023 is when we bought our first building and then we bought a couple more since. And for your U.S. investing, are you focused on investing like close to you? Because I know being in Nova Scotia, you're not that far from Maine. Uh, yeah. is, is that a target for you or no? Not really. I don't really care if it's close to me. I'm not going to be going there very often. Um, I only I go there sometimes for the due diligence and sometimes when we close just you know, for social media, just for videos and stuff. But it doesn't matter because all of our buildings right now are in Cleveland, Ohio. And that's not super close. Cleveland. To me. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I know Thomas was uh was a little hot on that. So uh, you're doing some stuff in Cleveland with Thomas. Yeah. So all so we have three buildings there: a 24 unit and two 38 units, and they're both in, and they're all three of them are in Cleveland. Okay. So 24 unit building in Cleveland. Like, what are, what are we talking here? Is this an on market or an off market purchase? The first one was on market, man. They were asking 1.5. We put an offer in for 1.4. It got accepted right away, and then. And purchase price ended up being 1.35 mil at close. So 1.35 million for how many units? 24 units, all three bed, one bath. Three bed, one bath. So 56 G's a unit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and what kind of rent are you getting per unit? So when we bought it, it was low. Low rents were low, you know, mid 700s. But yeah. we are now we're getting quotes for close to 1400 bucks. So we're we're using some section 8 housing. Yeah. So like it's called CMHA and they just pay for the rent, but yeah, probably going to double the rent in the building. You're going to do some section 8 housing? We're going to do some section 8, yeah. Oh boy, I'm excited about this this talk. <laughs> yeah, this will be a fun uh, one. And I, I can explain why we went down that road too. Yeah, yeah we're going to get to that. Okay. Uh, but let's just like let's not graze over the, you know, we talk 1% rule. And yes. on a per unit basis, if you started at seven hundred, and fifty six thousand was your your purchase price, you're still doing good. It's doing good. Yep. Off, yeah, off you're, you're doing more than one percent rule to start. Exactly, and that's so we're talking a building that should cash flow, right? Oh, yes. Out of the box cash flows. Out of the out of the box cash flows. Yep. Yeah. Are you close to the uh, like? What are you close to in Cleveland with that building? 10 minutes away from the Cleveland Clinic, which is the, the biggest hospital, and also yeah. 10, 10 minutes away from Cleveland State University. Okay. So there's a, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, some people, are, like there's a stigma about Cleveland. Let's face it. It's not far off of Detroit and Buffalo. Like, you know, it's a little bit better. Yes. Uh, but there's definitely some stigma there too. A hundred percent. And what do you think the preconceptions of that area are? And what's your response to that? So there are some areas in Cleveland that are rough. And I'm talking just Cleveland, uh, sorry, Detroit level, like we would not invest there, you know, damn near war zone, you know, but the area that we invested in, it's probably a C plus area. It's still on the come up. But if you went and looked at the building, which we did, you can see development happening all around it, every single block around it. And we did a lot of connecting with people there. We talked to different brokers and stuff, asking about the area and everyone told us the same thing. It's probably a C, C plus right now, but in five years. That's going to be a B B plus, especially if we do what we're going to do to the building. Um, so this is this was more of a long term play. It's cash flowing off the rip, but in five years this area is developing. In Cleveland itself, it's developing. They're putting billions of dollars into their downtown core, and this building is fifteen minutes away from downtown. Yeah, I mean, I I'm very very open to the prospect of investing in Cleveland. Like back when I invested in Ohio originally. Uh, I would have considered Cleveland, but it was expensive comparatively. <laughs> so <laughs> in hindsight, it would have been better, but I mean, I wouldn't have had the money to to invest in Cleveland at the time. Um, I didn't know what I know now. So that's, uh, it seems like a, a market with a ton of potential. Um, what, what was the, the relationship with you and Thomas there? Like, why did you guys decide to partner? What are you each bringing to the table? 
Yeah, so Thomas was my coach. He was my mentor for a year. So we're not allowed to work with our coaches on stuff. So I finished my mentorship with him. And then I was just doing some deal hunting and I found this amazing deal. Like I was the one that initially found the deal and I cr- ran the numbers and I kind of presented it to Thomas. I'm like, Thomas, this deal is pretty, pretty nice on paper. You know, we obviously we have to do our due diligence. And I asked him, would you be willing to partner with me on this one? Having him on board was imperative because he is a dual citizen. So because of him is why we're able to get financing much more easily, especially on a commercial asset like this. And what we bring to the table is, you know, I helped raise money for that deal. I brought some of my own cash to that deal and Thomas mm-hmm. helped get the financing. And then I, I also have another partner with us. Uh, his name's Ian. He was big on the numbers. Like he analyzes a lot of the stuff. He's a, he has a construction background. So he knows, you know, when we do renovations, he's really zoned in on the numbers. So he understands those things. So we all bring our own thing. Um, but as a unit, we work well together. And a third partner, where where is he located? Is he in the area or? No, he's, he's here in Halifax with me. In Halifax. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, for that deal, how much were you guys into it? Like, what was your mortgage amount? Let me pull up the sheet right now. I thought I, I had one of them, like the center road one, the, one of the 38s. It's um, the numbers on that one are crazy, but this 24 unit, it's also pretty good. 24 Cleveland. Yeah, we could talk about that one too. I just, I'm just trying to get an idea of what you have to come into one of these deals, what, you know, what your down payment is in total. Yeah, sure. If you don't mind, we can talk about the 38 one. I have just the numbers right here in front of me. Sure. Yeah. If you got the 38 one, yeah, give me some context. So would it start with what you paid? Yeah. So this, this building, 38 units, this is about 20 minutes away from our building in a better area. So this is a solid B area. When you drive that area, you can tell like this area has already been gentrified. It's looking, looking really nice. A lot of beautiful single family homes everywhere. Um, And the purchase price was just under 2 million. It was like 1.9. Okay. That's a considerably better deal then. It is better in regards to just like uh, area and like, I, it's better. I wouldn't well, plus say- Plus you're $50,000 a unit instead of 56. Yes, it is better. So yeah, that purchase price, 1.928. 1.928. Okay. So approximately 50,000 um, and 1.928, you're coming in what? 25% down? Yep. That's fantastic. <laughs> so $482,000 in the US isn't nothing, especially when you're buying those US dollars with Canadian dollars. Yeah, it's not. Uh, exactly. That's a big down payment. Now, is there a plan? Uh, tell me about the financing structure and your plan with that. Uh, it, so- it sounds like you'd be cash flowing out of the box with that one too. Yeah, we are cash flowing pretty well. So we initially, we closed with this one with an, uh, an interesting way. So we closed with a bridge. So the bridge was like 11%. Um, that was the, but it was interest only and we're instantly refinancing <laughs> into uh, a more long-term, uh, loan. So this one is going to be 6.5%, but also interest only. And that's for 10 a, years of it. That one's going to be for, for five years, five years, interest only. And then it goes into an amortization. Yeah. At, at that point, we're going to refinance because we would have completed the burr and then we're going to a longer term debt. So this is just a five-year term. That's it. Only yeah. five-year term. It's not a 30-year mortgage. Yeah. This one's just a five-year term. Okay. And are these with like uh, small funds or is this like an institutional loan? This is... So the more institutional, the 6.5%. So it's it like a bank, like a big bank is offering that? Exactly. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's a solid rate. So you're, you're not paying those big expensive broker lender fees. You would just be coming into a 6.5% uh, mortgage. Exactly. Yeah. And the, the interest only is what makes the cash flow just crazy. Like once this oh thing boy, stabilized- Oh boy, that sounds exciting. Tell me about that cash flow. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, we'll talk about like uh, the plan, but once this thing stabilized, you know, the gross rent's going to be around 35,000 conservatively. And we're going to be cash flowing around 14,000 USD. 14,000 USD per month. Per month with 6.5% oh interest only if we hit our after paying rates. your 6.5% interest only. All so what's the plan paid. with that money? Are you guys are you guys sinking all that money back into the building? Or are you going to take out 50% of it? Uh, tell me the plan, the, the general ideology there. On the refinance? Yeah. Well, what, say right. once you get to that point where you're cash flowing 14 G's a month. Okay. So at that point, well, it's 
well, it'll be dispersed obviously to our investors and to ourselves. Um, we may like we have a renovation budget allotted. So like we this building needs some work, not a crazy amount of work. The 24 unit needed more work. It was an older building, mm-hmm. but this one it's in better condition. The owners you can turn it over over time. Like you have stuff that's rented that you want to renovate. Like you're not exactly. you're not gonna kick everybody out like you gotta do in Ontario to make anything work. No, yeah, we have time. We gave ourselves, you know, the five-year window to do what we have to do. So you got a five-year window to start turning this over, even though right now the numbers work. Now, the 6% mortgage you're going to get, 6.5%, are you going to be getting a higher loan to value than what you paid? Like, are, are you getting enough to like perfect burr it right off the bat? Yes, this will be a perfect burr, no doubt. So immediate perfect burr, like yeah. within the first year? No, no, no. Sorry. Not uh, within the first year. We need the to- The first refinance is just coming back to 75% of your purchase price. Yeah. That's just to give okay. us the better rate and make yeah. the numbers work a little nicer. Yeah. The- the um the questions and due diligence of the American lenders is pretty sophisticated and they, yeah, they won't do that. Like, Oh, what did you pay? Yeah. We're not giving you more than that. Even if you did it in the last year. Right. And they yeah. also are stickier about the cash out refis. They don't like it when you you're taking money out that you didn't, you didn't put in, like they'll pay out your mortgages as is, mm-hmm. but they don't want to be putting money in your pocket. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> I, these are just things I've noticed, like yeah. the conversation, like they're sophisticated. I've also noticed that they speak to me in a way that you know, kind of like they're speaking down to me a little bit. I don't love that. (laughs) But I mean, some people will say this is just part of the game. Like you are going to deal with types that are like that. And, you know, preferably I I, like, I try and find people who are mutually respectful, but uh, there's a lot of those lenders out there. I don't know if, did you speak with them directly or did Thomas set all this up? Thomas did handle a lot of it. And there was, this was actually quite the headache for him. There was a lot of incompetence with Mm -hmm. this close. That's why we had to close with the bridge. This close was dragged on for like three, four months when we could have closed the way that we're closing it now, or we did, we could have done that months ago because we were initially going to get like a really low loan with like a any any, um, mortgage, but didn't end up working because our lender was talking with somebody else. There was like, it was like a, almost like four tiers to it. So we had a broker and then there was another company that packages up the loan that then sends it to like the actual bank. But yeah, there was just miscommunication along the way and it just delayed everything. So we're like, yeah, break this. We're just closing with a bridge and then we have to do what we have to do. Yeah, it often comes to that, right? But with such a great deal, there's meat on the bone. You don't need to to worry about those few dollars and cents. And this is why uh, sort of what I strongly dislike about what's what's become of Ontario is people are having to bean count to make their deals work. Like they're having to, you know, every little cent matters. And if only if we can do this and then we can achieve our break-even cash flow. And I'm like, for what? Yeah. Same with Halifax. <laughs> exact same thing. Yeah. Just try and find break-even cash flow. Yeah. At least I'll say that your purchase point in Halifax probably makes more sense against incomes. Like the purchase Man. price against incomes compared to Ontario. That's all I'm saying. Compared to Ontario, yes, it's crazy, but like not far off. <laughs> you wouldn't you would think of the the market got crazy here. So it's not quite the same, but I'm talking like, you know, you're dropping 160, 170K for old stock, you know, with rents that are still around 800 bucks. And like, we're, it's not a landlord friendly province. So like, how are we going to mm-hmm. get these people out? Like people bring me deals. So you're still Halifax. buying a house for under 200K though in, in Halifax? Sorry, I meant... Per unit on an apartment. Per unit, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So, and yeah, I don't, I don't think you're finding anything under 200 bucks a unit in Ontario, but it's not oh. that oh, terribly, terribly different. You can occasionally find a, a deal, okay, uh, but that would be in Halifax proper that you're talking. Yeah, so like yeah. old stock needs a lot of work, low rents. Mm-hmm. You can probably you can find something 150k, 175k. Door yeah, doors. and those deals really are probably only going to make sense to institutional investors uh, for the next bit. And those are the type that can weather the storm for five to ten years while they yes uh, chum up with politicians and get some new laws passed that allow them to to cash flow. So it's kind of a real estate with a plan. Uh, but it's a more political one. I, I see that sort of as being the future in Canada, a lot more uh, of that type of thing where people are going to have to have an angle with certain you know people, policymakers, we'll call them. A hundred percent. Or like we have some multi-generational families here that just have been yeah. buying real estate for 50 years and their cash flow is so immense that they can't yeah. afford. It's they can the afford idea. some dogs with anticipation again. And there's some crony capitalism going on there, you know, working things out with, with politicians. But I also think there's a lot of people coming into the country that, uh, they come from places where they earned money, not under Canadian tax system. So they were earning money hand over fist. And then they're bringing in so much money into the country that they can just sink it into assets 
that they think, even if they'll only go up a couple of percent or a percent a year or whatever, they just see Canadian real estate as safe. So they'll go in no mortgage. And th- that's a element that also contributes to pushing these prices up. Yeah. Uh, so it's funny. It's funny how quickly all this happened to just drive real estate out of out of uh, the reach of the average person uh, <laughs> in, in just a few years time, really. Yeah. Right. Like quite all they had to do is jack the interest rates up and it just like completely out of reach for most at this point. Yeah, man, like since COVID, right? That's like when I've mm. seen like it's just been out of this world. I bought my personal residence, you know, 2020, and like it's doubled. And now it's like this whole area where I live and all around Halifax. Like I have so many friends, you know, in their 30s, buying a house mm-hmm. is almost out of reach, you know, and it's only getting worse. Hi, friends. I just wanted to take a moment away from the episode to tell you about my brand new structured coaching program. This is the first time I've ever offered a structured coaching program where we'll have regular meetings in addition to an intro call uh, to go through what your goals are and help you get on a plan to achieve those goals within real estate. So if you followed me for some time and you feel that I would be a fit for you to help you achieve your goals in real estate based on my skill set, based on the topics we cover on this show, I encourage you to head over to my website, andrew-hines.com forward slash coaching and fill out the questionnaire so that we can schedule a call and figure out if it's a fit for us to work together. Let's face it, most people could benefit from a second set of eyes and ears going over their strategies, different deals that they're looking at, and helping to springboard ideas back and forth. This is a program that's exactly for that. So if you're looking to build confidence in what you're doing in real estate investing and get very clear on what it is you're trying to accomplish, this might just be the program for you. Take a moment, fill out that questionnaire, and let's schedule a chat. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is why so many of our friends in the uh, in the real estate space are taking their skills south of the border or north. And we have people, you know, going up north to Timmins and North Bay and all that stuff in Ontario. And I'm sure for you, like what what would people do if they didn't go to the U.S.? Like if you've got, you know, your kind of crew of investors in in Halifax there. Edmonton or New Brunswick, Alberta. Or New they're, Brunswick. they're going out of province. They're going to New Brunswick. and But New yes. Brunswick's not far, right? Like you're, New Brunswick's not far at all. What are you like four or five hours to yeah like maybe three hours to like Moncton so it's not bad yeah have you considered investing there I have 100 percent like you know I have people bring me deals there um every now and then and it's just kind of like where do I want to focus my energy at the moment so uh, yeah I would I have no problem investing in New Brunswick I'd pick that over Halifax right now so you mentioned before like you gave me two deals there so between the two are you looking at like twenty thousand dollars a month in cash flow probably something like that when you get it all stabilized yeah, so there's three of them. There's another 38 unit that we're closing on as well. So it's 100 units, and yeah, it should be north of that. I would say once it's all like stabilized. you're gonna be like 40,000 a month cash flow, something like that, or <laughs> maybe not quite that, but it, it, they'll they'll be doing well. All right, so who who is that being split with? So you got the three partners, but then you guys have also raised money on promissory notes, or or you have a GPLP, or what do you have? So yeah, it is GPLP, but actually the team's growing. So like the first 24 units, it was just like me, Thomas, and Ian, three of us. We we're the GPs. And then we had three people on the three or four people on the money side. But then the next 76 units, we brought on a couple other team members because like mm-hmm. our plan is just kind of massive expansion down in the States. So, you know, after this, this hundred is just like the starting point. We're going to, it's going to get much crazier. Yeah. So we brought on another GP, his name's Suman. He's helped us a lot with the raising the capital. And then there's a couple other guys. So the, the GP team's grown to like, you know, seven or eight people. Now the really? equity, pos- yeah, but the equity positions of some people are much smaller because their roles are much smaller. Right. So, so how much of your total ownership is segmented off for the, the limited partners? So your investors? 50%. Except 50%. one of one of the deals the LPs got 60% because one okay. guy and his brother brought all the cash. So we're like, okay. yeah. So if they make it simple for you. Exactly. Um, but, but so these Ohio deals have been 50, 50 besides that one, but then future deals, like we're looking at 149 units in Texas and that one's going to be a little different. That one's going to be 75% to the LPs. To the LPs. And that's more typical in the States. Yes. So in the States, it's like, yeah, 70, 30, something like that to the LPs. Uh, we're, we're so used to 50, 50 here in Canada, but if yeah. you play in these big deals, yes, uh, that 30% you keep is, is something special. Now, with that said, there's such a steep learning curve to, to learn how to play in this game at this level that you're playing and uh, why most don't get there. Interestingly, my friend Nick came on the show a couple of times. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he's doing storage development in Texas and in Florida. 
and he's yes. done 70%, 70% to him, to the limit or to the general partners, 30% to the limited partners, raised it all in Canada. Wow. Um, so and I feel like so Canadians are more years. accepting of that. Like they're, yes. they're more. A hundred percent. Americans less so. You're right. Like 70, 30 is what I always see, you know? So, but I, I, I heard a great podcast on this exact topic. It all, it's all deal dependent. You know, if you have a smoking deal, juicy, yeah, stupid, juicy, like this is a home run deal, no matter what, then it's like, okay, you can kind of skew the numbers in your favor a little bit or make them yeah. more a little equal. And a lot of these 70, 30s, you know, they'll be heavier on the fees. So like the GPs are getting paid through fees, yeah. no matter what. Um, so sometimes get rid of those fees and then take a little bit more equity. Right. Yeah. So you could do the 73 and just stack some fees for yourself on there. And you're you're making money on the deal. You're making money if the do, deal does what does well. Tell me a bit more about how that structure works. Like, are you guys getting a, a management fee or is it just on the cash flow uh, of the business? Like, how did you structure it? It's a funny situation about this deal. So this deal, it's actually somebody else brought it to us. Thomas had a connection. This guy found the deal, did all the due diligence, created the package, all that stuff. Great deal. Two, over two millions of two dollars of equity on the buy. So this guy handled everything. He just brought it to us and said, "Do you guys want to be a part of this? And if so, just help me raise the cash. And then you guys can have twenty percent of this deal. And he'll take five percent. And then it's fees involved. So all that to say, I don't know a whole lot about this deal just yet. We're this is we're still really in the beginning phases of this deal. This is the Texas one you're talking about. The, the Texas one, yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. How many the, units is that going to be? One forty nine. 149. Um, but what about the ones in Cleveland? Did you did yes. you structure that to take a management fee as well? Yeah. So like we're not su super greedy. Of course, we saw like we're getting a good equity piece. So there's an acquisition fee evolved, like 2%. Yeah. So 2% acquisition fee. And then you have an ongoing amount as well? Like anywhere between like 1% to 2% for the asset management fee. And then- 1% to 2% of, of rents like or gross, or gross revenue? Of no, the purchase price. Like on, on the uh, like, right. yeah. yeah, but that on an ongoing basis. Oh, sorry. No, you're right. Yeah. Um, of yeah. the of the rents, of the rents. Okay, so one to two percent of the rents, and then plus, like, do you get an equity stake? And I'm just asking because this is something I'm always curious about the whole GPLP structure and how people do this. So, um, like, do you get an equity stake for your management? Yeah, for for putting the deal together, hundred percent. Like, so the way that we have it set up, like Thomas is getting a bulk of the equity, especially because he's the one that's the the primary on the loans. And he's the reason- Out of the 50% that's available for the for the, the general partners. Exactly. Yeah. And then the rest is, is dispersed kind of evenly based on how much uh, capital you raise and you know how much work you're going to put into the deal. And we're all- Okay. Putting, so how many limited partners you brought in dictated it, how much equity you got in the deal? Exactly. Exactly. So we kind of like allotted it like a third for the loan, a third for the capital raise, and then a third for doing the work on the 50%. Yeah. Okay. So what work is involved for you guys? Uh, and and actually not to sidestep. So, so did you guys all roughly raise the same or it was mostly you and your other Halifax partner? No, it was pretty even. Like uh, the first yeah. 24 units, I raised a good chunk on that one because I put some of my own cash and then one of my buddies that I brought into mm -hmm. it, he brought a lot of cash. But then like the other two, so like for the, for the one building that we had like one person bring all the cash there was I didn't I didn't bring that guy so another mm -hmm. person brought that guy in and then uh for the other deal yeah like one guy Suman raised a good chunk you know and me and Ian and Thomas all of us kind of did it. it was pretty even okay so like approximate ownership in these different deals like are you like are you around I mean of the ownership available equity uh, like for the general partners, are yes. you are you generally around twenty or twenty five percent of that in any given deal? For the first one, the twenty four yeah. unit, I'm about twenty three percent that one because I put a good yeah. chunk of my cash in that one. Gotcha. Oh, that's just in total, like the total ownership of that deal. Yeah, I yeah. yeah so you I, own I a good piece of that one. <laughs> of the first one, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So every deal is different. You own a different piece. One you might only own ten percent of it, or or five percent exactly. of it, or whatever. Exactly. These are these are small percentages potentially of some pretty big numbers and rent coming in. So you're still you're still going to be getting quite a bit. And in your distribution, like, do you guys have a set amount that you're going to get the account for each building up to a certain level, and then anything anything after that is distributed? Yeah, exactly. Quarterly to all the to the LPs and to the GPs, but like the LPs need to see some cash flow, And like our goal mm -hmm. is, you know, after like two quarters of owning the building, we can kind of fill those vacant units, turn over or uh, renovate the ones that need to be worked on. And then 
we have strong cash flow, then we can start dripping it out to people. I like that. Yeah. It's great that you can offer, uh, you can offer a return to them. Yeah. And I do have a question about this on the GP side, because I've heard this from an accountant. I've got a few tax opinions on this. If you, part of your acquisition fee is units in the, in the project, then that's a taxable event. Is, is that your experience that you had to report that to your accountant and, and they had to like basically charge you, it's essentially income. If you're being, if you're working for units in, um, in the building, the government's treating that as income. You know, I'm, I'm not positive because we kind of just took, took the fee like as just cash. So we will have to claim that income because that was just, you took the fee as, oh, you did. So you didn't, but you do have ownership stake for your efforts, right? Yes. Oh yeah. And so that part, that part, yes. uh, hypothetically, like you, you don't have any cash to show for it, but you'll be taxed on it is what I've been told. And I'm just, uh, I'm just curious if that was your experience, but I guess you will find out on your next filing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> something to I'll learn, maybe something to budget for. Yes. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I haven't really dug in on this topic. I've just, I've just heard this. So, um, dude, super interesting. And I hope you don't mind me digging in on this. Uh, no, please do bolts. this. That's why, that's why I'm here, you know, <laughs> to share the story. Yeah. Well, what do you usually get into on your podcast? Like what, what's your, what's the theme? We just talk about it. Like anything real estate related. We were trying to really create something, you know, when I first got into real estate, I was listening to your podcast, so many podcasts. I'm like, what would I have liked to hear? You know, and, and we kind of make it around that just stuff for new investors and some more um, seasoned investors too. We're starting to take on more guests as well. So, you know, you're more than welcome to be a guest on our show at some point if you got time, but we're yeah, taking man. all kinds we're taking all, we'll do all a virtual of- session. I'm not going to be out there. <laughs> I'll fly out, man. Yeah, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> um, but yeah, it can be a virtual session. But yeah, we just talk about all things real estate. Um, we talk about the economy too, some stuff like that, just kind of a macro level stuff, how it's affecting real estate, little things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Give me your scoop. Like wh- where do you see the next five years going for Canadian investors? I know we talked a little bit about this. Like, you know, where do you see a lot of opportunity? I'd love to get your take. Oh man. In Canada, it's interesting, man. A lot of people ask me like, man, are you just giving up on Canada? And it's like, I'm not giving up on Canada per se, but it's just, I heard someone say one time, why invest somewhere where the rules are just actively written against you versus somewhere where it's written in your favor? So that's the big reason yeah. why I went to the States. But, you know, for Canadians to invest in multifamily, you know, New Brunswick, Alberta, I think it's really important to invest in places where it's landlord friendly and there can still be cash flow on the buy, especially in these high interest environments. If you're investing in places, you know, like Ontario, where it's hard to find cash flow and the rules are very much written, very much against you, it's tough. It's, you know, you have to be a, a real savvy investor to make it work. Um, I also like development. That's something I'd like to dip into at some point. Okay. So that's in your, uh, your horizon. Yeah. And I agree with you. Like why push your business uphill? And a lot of people are struggling with this and there are certainly some that are just no matter what, they're going to keep investing in their home province, you know, if that's mm. Ontario or whatever. And I talk, like I have like a whole show where we talk about Ontario deals because there's some that, that that's just what they want to do and they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to talk about it, but, uh, you got to get more creative, of course. And like you said, it's kind of, you know, he's kind of playing in a market where the rules are against you. Uh, but there's always a way to find opportunities and make opportunities. Exactly. Like, you know, the off market stuff, that's kind of what I preach to a lot of people, like finding something on viewpoint, which is like our, um, realtor.ca here in Nova Scotia, you're not going to find many good deals on market. You know, you have to Mm -hmm. really work hard. You have to go the extra, extra level. Okay. So I have a couple of questions. One, I'm going to talk to you about your analysis to find properties. Uh, but two, well, before I get into that, I want to, I want to ask you about, uh, career, you were a nurse and that's a uh, past tense. So you, you quit doing that. So I'm still a nurse. Technically, um, I work, I work a uh, 0.5. So my schedule is pretty sick. So I do two night shifts and then I'm off for seven days. And then I work another yeah. two, two night shifts. And then I'm off. for another. So are these 12 hour shifts? Yeah. 12 hour night shifts. Yeah. And like where yeah. I work, it's a very, it's a rehab rehab hospital, like spinal cord rehab. Yeah. So uh, it's not busy at all. So the patients go to bed around 10 or 11 and, uh, yeah, this, there's not. It's so that's not very, basically part time. You're you're half of a full time uh, work schedule. Exactly. Yeah. So half the salary, half the schedule. <laughs> yes. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. uh, and why do you keep doing that at this point? Do you need to? Uh, is it more of just it works for you and your schedule? You don't mind it. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Like you have a rental portfolio where you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm just curious. 
yeah, so I could stop. You know, I've talked to my wife about that, and we, I, I literally, I was going to, but then I thought to myself, I'm, it's not that hard. I'm not working very hard. At, like, you know, two shifts, two night shifts at that. I can do real estate stuff overnight when you know everyone's asleep, and it makes me two thousand bucks a month. You know, pr- relatively passively. I'm not working that hard, making two grand a month. So I, I delayed it a little bit. You know, I'm gonna, I'll probably stop at some point, maybe this year, later in the year, or early next year. But uh, it's more of a, a comfort thing, you know. It's like two grand guaranteed. But the thing about being a nurse is I can just go casual, and they can call me and ask me if I want to pick up a shift, and I can just say yes or no whenever I want. There's so much need for yeah. nurses to work. Well, I, interestingly, on that point, like you have an opportunity in the U.S., do you not? Like they need nurses there too. I, I bet you you could probably get a visa quite easily on uh, on that pretense. A hundred percent. And I've thought about that, but like I want to stop nursing. <laughs> so I, I, you'd be part-time nurse so they probably want you to be full-time they would probably want me to be full-time or i'd have to move there um you know if it was like something virtual i don't know what kind of mm-hmm. virtual nursing there are i have virtual really nurse nurse. yeah <laughs> i would i would do it but um in the meantime i'll just i'll just stick it out here until i can just comfortably stop nice okay so i wanted to jump into uh, to deal analysis with you and how you're finding deals. So tell me about the tools. Tell me about the general uh, parameters you're looking for when you do a search and what tools you use to find uh, a deal where you're looking. Sure. So like mainly in the States or like when I'm, when I was looking here in Halifax. No, we're talking the States now. States, I mean, yeah. cause you're not really actively looking in Halifax. It doesn't yeah. work the same. I'm trying yes. to stay away from um, like, I want to give people current information, like what's currently working. And for you currently is Cleveland now, Texas, but let's talk about that. Yeah, sure. So in the States, man, there's so much data. There's so much data compared to Canada. So I have access to this one program. It's called CoStar. And I don't know if you've heard of it, but CoStar is absolutely, oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. It has all of the multifamily um, data like all of it <laughs> on market and off market. So CoStar, it's like, a, so have you heard of um, LoopNet? LoopNet, yes. So I've used that. So CoStar is like the parent company of LoopNet. So LoopNet's the free version and CoStar is the paid version. So it's like LoopNet, but on steroids. So you can go on CoStar and you can search up, uh, let's say you put in Ohio and then you can look for a range of units in, in an apartment. Let's say you're only looking for 20 units to 50 units. You put in that range. And then it'll give you every single 20 to 50 unit apartment building in that state that you're looking at. And then on the right side, you can filter it down even further. So if you want it built after 1985, it'll give you every multifamily in that range built after 1985. And then it gets even crazier. You can see what kind of loan they have. You can see who owns it. A lot of the time it has their phone numbers or their email address of the owners. And then you can do what you got to do, reach out to them, cold call. Yeah. So you'll send them, you'll send them mail or whatever. All of it. So yeah. Is this similar to prop stream then as well? Very similar. The same thing with prop stream. Yeah. Very similar. And then it, it gives you comps about the area. It'll give you data research. It'll tell you, you know, what market rents are. It'll give you market rents of that whole area. It'll pull up every single apartment that's in that vicinity. And it'll say, you know, two bedrooms are going for this. One bedrooms are going for this. You know, it'll tell you the demographics of like, you know, the median income of this area, all that stuff. So, okay. So are you looking into any specific ratios? Do you look at average rent against average income ratio? Do you look at uh, rent to purchase price ratios? Is there general parameters you can put on the software to kind of exclude cities, markets, uh, places that you don't think are going to work? I don't think you can um filter by ratios like that that would be pretty sweet um but you can yeah. you can put in like rent parameters though so if you want an area where the average rent is a thousand you can put that in there but or, you can also set the parameter of average purchase price like or uh, average exa- sale price so exactly. then you could kind of establish that ratio too exactly i'm just yeah. curious if you could do like a whole country search apply those parameters and then kind of see the different areas that would work and then you can and you can zoom in from there and, and look you, at those specific areas a hundred percent you could <laughs> yeah I, did i give you an idea or does that sound not useful <laughs> <laughs> no it does sound useful it, it would help you kind of just you know, find an area. We already know what kind of areas that we're looking into. Like we have states in mind, you know, landlord friendly states that have affordable prices. Like Ohio is obviously people, people sing the praises of Ohio because of being landlord friendly. Ohio is pretty um, landlord. What other just, states? So Texas, obviously. <laughs> um, Texas. Yeah. Known well, to be landlord friendly. Florida. 
you know, Florida's nice. Also, like, yeah, I'm very landlord friendly uh, reputation. Yeah. The, the Carolinas, North and South Carolina. We like those. We like those. Those states. are landlord friendly because those are uh, blue states, right? Are they both blue states? I thought one was a swing. I state. believe so. I'm no expert, yeah. but yeah, I I'm, believe they both are. I haven't dove into it, but we like we just like those areas. Um, yeah. But well, uh, I love those areas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're beautiful states geographically. Tennessee. Tennessee is also a solid state. Um, yeah, I hear great north. things about Tennessee. Yeah. So those are the ones. Honestly, when I first got into all this U.S. stuff, I uh, you know I'd reach out to a thousand wholesalers, a bunch of brokers, and I just said, "Send me all of the U.S. deals in landlord-friendly states." And there's a lot of landlord-friendly states. You know, there's a lot of Republican states. So we really have yeah. to zero in. Yeah, it kind of you kind of start with what's a red state. Generally speaking, those are going to be more more landlord-friendly. Yes. And yeah. There's there's definitely uh, you know, a starting point and you can keep going from there. The, the thing I really like about the States is like, we just watched the opportunity in Canada evaporate to some degree. There's still opportunity. Don't get me wrong, but they haven't in that progress, they're still further behind. So there's still an opportunity there and get, might as well get in while the getting's good is kind of my thought. So, you know, that was a big thing that drew me to the States. Yep. Same, same with us. Same with us. Like, you know, we, yeah, the, the landlord friendly aspect of it's just massive. You know, it, it's so difficult when you have a, a rough tenant at scale too. You know, like I'm sure I, I just recently read an article in Toronto about just tenants just not paying rent, like a bunch of them, and like they'll just like not pay their rent. Um, you know, you must be aware of this just because they don't want to. Yeah, I mean, there's that powers and number power and numbers thing. Uh, I think a lot of tenants are are really gaining power these days. Uh, there are groups that talk about the whole cash for keys things. Uh, you know, th that strategy doesn't even work as well now because people talk about it, get together. So yeah, I, I do think that's a big thing in Ontario, and I think that um, landlords are, are maybe going to face a little bit more of a negative attitude from people in general because um it's funny but there's like a bit of a an uh and i didn't even know about this because people are just so positive in our circles but there's like a negative uh attitude about landlords and you know a little bit of hatred there so uh, for that reason i think you know that that's another reason to kind of look even just outside of ontario like or or you know in, in, to paint even the entire province with one brush uh, it probably isn't fair. Uh, you could probably go more north and not have that sentiment. But just as people start finding it harder and harder to own, it makes it easier to point the finger. And we all know who the government's going to want to blame, right? They're going to blame greedy landlords. They're always going to create narratives that, you know, it's it's not us. It's those greedy landlords. They just don't want to give you a deal. <laughs> Illogical as it might be. So uh, not that my, you know, of course, my listeners and uh, viewers have heard me talk about this stuff. So I don't want to go too deep into that rabbit hole right now. But um, yeah, for sure. So tell me about where you're looking right now. I know Texas kind of came and fell on your lap, but if, if it wasn't for that deal, what's, what's next on your agenda? Like what's filling your days with research these days? So if it wasn't for the Texas deal, you know, we, we like Phoenix, we like Arizona as well. Um, mm -hmm. Thomas's dad has, uh, go ahead. Yeah. And just like what, what, what's good. Like, tell me what's a good parameter. If you're looking at, are you looking for a market where you can find a 1% rule? Well, yeah, honestly, the Cleveland stuff and any of those states where like the price per door is low, you're probably going to hit the 1% if you find a decent So price deal. per door is the starting point. Price so per door, where are yeah. you looking price per door wise? Like what's what's like, uh, hey, I'm not even going to look at that. Like what number do you have to be at before you're saying, nah, I'm not even going to look? Around 60, but it also depends on what the ARV price per door is going to be. Like if we buy something and it's like 75, but it can be worth 150, we'll look at that, yeah. of course. You know, we'd be silly not to. Um, but uh, price per door, it has to cash flow on the buy. Like that's a big thing for us. You know, we uh, we're not here to. Or if it doesn't cash flow on the buy, there's a very clear reason why it doesn't. Like there's a lot of vacant units, and we can easily go in there and fill them. Yeah. And then it's making money off the rip. So like that's probably the only only thing reason I can think of. So but those, those are, are your parameters. So what yeah. are you thinking? Your your uh, ARV on the Cleveland stuff will be because you bought around fifty to fifty seven thousand in that range per door. Yeah, we want to get it to about eighty to eighty-five. That's the that's the goal. And, and the market will support that. Appraisers will support that. They're, what's they're the highest end in Cleveland? Like, what's the most anybody's paying? Like ninety-five for something real nice. The thing is, like downtown Cleveland, it's a, it's a little bit of a different beast. There's some stuff there that's very expensive. You know, it's like new. Okay, bills. so that's like the unicorn that doesn't really speak yeah. to the rest of Cleveland. Exactly. Are, are suburbs in play, or you just wouldn't find multi multi buildings out in the suburbs? I guess you wouldn't. 
not of the size that we're looking not really um except the ones um the, the 76 units the two 238s they're pretty close to a, like a suburb like there's a there's not a whole lot of like purpose-built multis like them around yeah okay so those are those are sort of on the outskirts of town like not not really in the main core not in the main core of cleveland it's like a yeah it's pretty much a suburb yeah it's called which Bedford. is kind of what you want right like you don't yeah. want to be where all the stuff's happening <laughs> no cleveland, exactly i'm guessing <laughs> except it's funny you say that there was actually a shooting in one of our buildings <laughs> so in one of your buildings but it wasn't tenants it was just like kids going by or something and they were just happened yeah. to be around there and some just a shot. bullet flew through the window yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm just so, joking but. So, but you know, we're, this so is we're, kind of what you get into, though. Like, tell me about what's different there. Like, what? How is it different operating in a city like that, in a space like that? I mean, you're in an okay neighborhood for that city, uh, not in a bad neighborhood per se. Uh, but what are like? Are there bars on all the windows on the lower floors? Uh, do you have you know special tamper-proof glass? Like, what's it like? You don't have any of that. But it's funny you mentioned that on the 24 unit before we bought it. Me and Ian, one of my partners, we went down to Cleveland, and it was like. 10 o'clock at night and me and Ian just went to the building because we wanted to see it for the first time. And we were able to just open the door. Like the front door was open. We walked in. We were able to walk all around the building. We were able to walk into the basements and walk around. So we were ta- thinking to ourselves, this is not safe. Like <laughs> any homeless person could just come and camp out in our in our building. So making them safe is one of the things that are imperative to us. So we're adding security yeah. doors, security cameras, little things like that to kind of so really those lo- those locks that are attached to network cables to like open it up, like a fob system, all that stuff. All of that, exactly. You know, buzzer system yeah. to make it much more safe. And that can then we can ask for higher rents because you know this. Yeah, is a I nice mean, people building. with the safer building, right? Like they're going to look at that. Like, is is it normal to put bars on windows there on the lower floors to no. stop people from? No, no, it's not. It's not that bad. We're, like, yeah. there's there's an area in Cleveland, East Cleveland. That's where you want bars on the windows. There. Yeah, you see that there. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I remember in Miami, we just went out for breakfast one morning, and then we were walking over to this like art graffiti area. You've probably heard of it. I don't. I can't recall what it's called. Called, but uh, to get there from the breakfast place to there, we were just like, oh, it's just a short walk. We walk down the street. Every house has bars on the windows. We're like, um. Guys, I don't know if we were supposed to be here. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. We were fine, but it's just funny how quickly you might walk down a, a neighborhood like that in the States. Uh, like, do you find that like you go two streets over and it's like a different Dude, neighborhood? Not two streets, across the street. Like it'll yeah, across literally, the street's different. It'll go from like war zone, F, rundown apartments across the highway, million dollar single family homes. It's like, it's shocking. You hear people say it all the time, but when you actually drive yeah. and see it, it's it's totally different. I think a big part of that is the school zones because they'll have school zones that are, um, you know, you might be just the other side of the highway, but you're in a different school, right? So parents are thinking, oh, well, we want our kids to go to that school, not yeah. the one in that F zone, <laughs> that <laughs> <Exactly>. F neighborhood. <laughs> No, you want to stay away from those. And the thing is, like, if you don't know this stuff, like, you just look at the numbers and think, oh, my God. You know, we looked at this one deal. It was, like, 70-plus units, and it was, like, a $1.5 million, something crazy. I'm like, this is unbelievable. This is the best deal ever. But it's, like, this is the worst part of town, all kinds of drugs, all kinds of crime. Yeah. What can you do to eliminate that, like, from your computer without going there? How do you How do you go about weeding out those potential neighborhoods? Do you, do you pull up like the crime map on, what is it, Trulia? Uh, there's one of them has a crime map on them. There's this awesome website. I forget it off the top of my head. I'll send it to you so you can share it with your followers. But it has, especially for Cleveland, it, it'll just have like a map of the whole city. And then it's a like color coordinated of like A, B, and C, good areas, bad yeah. areas. So that's one like quick way to do it. But then after that, you have to talk to people in the city. That's it's yeah. At the end of the day, that's what you have to do. Well, but I know with, I used to do this with, I think it's truly, if that sounds correct, but there is a crime map and you can actually see the number of reported crimes, what the nature of the crime was. You can see the incidents against the addresses. Like it's very precise. And so you can see the concentration where they're happening more. Uh, and you'd be surprised, like every neighborhood has reported crime. It's very common. Oh, I believe uh, it. Yeah. So that's, uh, that I've used in the past and I might be mis, uh, calling that by the wrong name, but, uh, that's one thing that it sort of does what you said. And uh, that's something I would want to do. And then I would see you'd, you'd need to kind of find like a base level 
like go to one of your existing buildings, see what the crime's like in that area, and then compare and contrast against other areas and how many reports there are. And that might help. But then again, like you said, there might be an area where the cops just don't even go. So there's no reports, but it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. But, so yeah, there's a, you, you, like you said, I think your final point of due diligence is always to go there, but you know, you could do Google street view, but it, sometimes that, that'll deceive you. Right. Cause you could do that in Hamilton and see some, some pretty not great looking stuff that mm -hmm. is actually okay. Neighborhoods. Right. Um, so you, you know, that might tell you the wrong story as well. Right. Uh, so that's it. You, that's all you got. You're gonna have to go there. <laughs> go there, or, or, or like, talk to people, or yeah, talk to people. That's the big one, though. Yeah. Like well, before we nail down on our property managers, like I, I talked to maybe a dozen different ones to make sure that we pick the right ones. Because yeah, if you have the wrong property manager from long distance, it can yeah screw you, you and ruin the deal. But bef before you completed these properties, you probably talked to property managers, right? Before you have oh, yeah. your deals. Big yeah. Time. Hey, yes. what do you think of this area? Like, are we barking yes. up the wrong tree? Is this is this a building you would want to manage? Because they'll exactly. tell you they don't want to take on a dog. Exactly. They want to they want to take on one that they can manage. Yeah, yeah. especially like uh, the first one, the twenty four unit. Like, we'd use different property managers to kind of get a base of what we think the rent could be. Because like on CoStar, there's you know rent comps, but at the same time, I'd like to hear from a person that's actually leasing yeah. out these buildings. What are rents? For nice three bedrooms, nice two bedrooms, and we kind of go from there. And we built 100%. a good relationship. We built a great relationship with the one company, and they're they're managing all hundred of the units. Cool, man. Anything else that you wished I'd asked you about that I haven't? Honestly, man, the, this is most of it. The, the U.S. stuff, you know, the journey, uh, the podcast. Yeah. I wanted to talk about that. Uh, the the benefits. Yeah, tell us about like where people find you. Then, like, yeah, how, how do they learn more about you? So yeah. Oh, you can follow me on Instagram. That's where I'm pretty active on my Instagram handle shift properties. I'm also I'm starting to get big on TikTok. I'm trying anyway. So if you search getting my big. name, all right. <laughs> so when, I, when I say getting big, I have 181 followers. I'm just posting there more frequently. Dude, that's huge. <laughs> <laughs> so Manny Schiff on, on TikTok or listen to our podcast. So me and Ian and my, my other friend, Janelle, we have a podcast. It's called the Refined Real Estate Podcast. We just talk about real estate. We talk about life. You know, we give some some fun opinions, some stuff like that. But you can reach out to to me directly on my Instagram or TikTok, or give us a listen on on uh, Spotify or pod, Apple Podcasts. We're on YouTube as well. Manny, it was really great talking to you. I appreciate you doing this, and I know I've rescheduled on you a couple times, so I appreciate uh, you putting this together with me. And we did it virtually, um, and really, really important and valuable talk, like the stuff you're doing. I think this is what uh, people around here need, need to hear. So that's great, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. This has been on the bucket list and I get to check it off. It sounds great. All right, man. Well, let's stay in touch. Uh, keep me posted as you're doing more deals. I'd love to hear all about it. Oh, awesome. I definitely will. All right. I'll talk to you soon. See you. Bye. There are a lot of people out there talking about the infinite banking strategy and whether or not it makes sense for them. To find out what it's all about and if it's a fit for you, visit controlandcompound.com forward slash Andrew Hines, where my audience can gain exclusive access to books, podcasts, and webinars tailor-made for real estate investors. Have you noticed cash flow in today's market has been getting harder? As a result of the changing market, I've noticed a lot of investors focusing more on passive investing strategies, including private equity. Tune in to learn what these investors are doing at my passive investing webinar happening at 7 p.m. on October 25th, 2023. Special guests Carmen Campanero and Nick Wright will discuss how private equity works, what REIT investments are, what to look for, and even how you can have your RRSPs and TFSAs invested in real estate when it would otherwise not be possible. Space is limited, so be sure to reserve your attendance using the webinar link in the show notes of this episode or by visiting andrew-hines.com forward slash webinar.